Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware. We have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit. But frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Katie, and the lying whore on my computer screen is Ellen. Did you just call me a lying whore? No! No, I said, I, I said, um, lion horror. Because you're, you're a scary lion. You know, rawr. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, then. That's, I'm sticking to that. That's what I'm going with. Let's just roll right into the rolling rehash. Last week, we discussed Chapter 9, The Writing on the Wall, and its corresponding film scenes. Once again, Filch scares the crap out of us. Dumbledore is omnipotent beyond any actual reason. Hermione can't keep her hands off Ron's lines. <laughs> Professor Binns joins Peeves on the cutting room floor. McGonagall can monologue like a master. And Slytherin's pants have their own whore within. <laughs> During episode 27, Snape's karaoke party, our Potter pondering was a rabbit hole of questions about transfiguring animals. If you turn a desk into a pig and cook it, will it taste like pork or wood? Does the pig know it's actually a desk? Do transfigured animals remember being transfigured? If you transfigure an inanimate object into an animate one, does it have thoughts and feelings? And if yes, what happens to them after they become inanimate again? Or, as I said, transfiguration. What? <laughs> Penny actually just wanted to know what we were smoking. Facts. Which is hilarious. <laughs> because we totally joked about getting some edibles and recording our next Potterheads of History all about transfiguration. Potheads of History. <laughs> I mean, I'm not opposed to it. Dave figures that once something turns into something else, it ceases to be what it was and is now what it is. So a pig would taste like a pig. It's a pig now, not a pig made out of wood. But several people think that killing the desk pig would end the spell and the pig would turn back into a desk. Quincy is pretty insistent that the pig would taste like applewood bacon. I'm down with that. But he also wonders what PETA would feel about any of this. He wasn't the only one who mentioned animal rights. Laura wanted to know where all the animal rights wizards are. You know there are some. Oh, there must be. There's gotta be. Alice said that she thinks animals being transfigured would have a gap in time, like Ginny with Riddle's diary. They wouldn't know where they were or what had happened. With objects being transfigured into animals, all that comes to mind is when Jack Skellington finds the village during Christmas and it's like, what's this? What's this? <laughs> and is running around so excited and enthusiastic. <laughs> Carly wonders if the transfiguring lasts forever. Like, if they turn an animal into a water goblet, does it stay like that forever, or does the magic wear off? It is literally changing the molecular structure of something, changing it from an inanimate object to animate. And she finds it extremely sketchy that they change living creatures into inanimate objects. She thinks that if the magic doesn't last very long, the inanimate objects turned to animate objects wouldn't develop thoughts and feelings, though. Which makes sense. Yeah. I buy that. Carly and I also had a side conversation about Peter Pettigrew. She wondered why he didn't pop back into being when Ron tried to transfigure him. And I think that since it didn't happen in the book, it was just another example of the movie doing something it didn't think all the way through. Because if Ron had turned Scabbers into a furry goblet in the book, McGonagall would have likely have had to use a spell to revert him to his original form, which would have returned him to his Peter form. <laughs> Peter form sounds dirty. I phrased it just like that for you. <laughs> you know me so well. <laughs> Let's just move on to our trivia question. Last week it was, how many bones does Harry have to regrow after Lockhart mends his arm? As we will learn in today's episode, Harry had to regrow 33 bones. Congratulations again goes to Sam Jane. We are looking at a two-week winning streak for Sam. Will it continue next week to become three? I'm not so sure as Quincy was right there telling him not to get too excited. Plus, Dave answered right around the same time, but with the wrong number and a hashtag oops wrong movie. <laughs> 42. The answer to life, the universe, and everything. 
Except for this trivia question. Obviously. But it seems to me like they could just be luring Sam into a false sense of security to keep it interesting. Could be. Plus, there could always be someone new that sweeps in to take the win. That is very true. So keep listening. Yeah, and don't forget to follow us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com to get the episode as early as possible. Maybe you can be the next winner. Maybe. But side note... I was really curious and had to look this up. There are actually 64 bones total in our arms, combined, both arms, 10 shoulder and arm bones, 16 wrist bones, and 38 hand bones. So that would be 32 bones in each arm, not 33. Hmm. Or if you don't feel like including the clavicle or scapula, since those aren't technically located in the arm, it would be 30 bones. So now I'm really curious where she got the number 33. I have no idea, and your Hermione is showing, so let's just keep rolling into Chapter 10, The Rogue Bludger, and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter 10, The Rogue Bludger. After the disaster lesson with the Pixies, Lockhart never brings live creatures into the class again. Instead, he reads passages from his books and sometimes reenacts the more dramatic bits, usually picking Harry to help him with them. This time, Lockhart has Harry pretending to be a werewolf, howling the best he can to keep Lockhart in a good mood. At the end of class, the trio waits until everyone is gone and approaches Lockhart's desk. Hermione tells him that there's a book in the restricted section she wants to read to help her understand what he says about slow-acting venoms and gadding with ghouls. Lockhart immediately takes the note and signs his name. As Hermione tucks the note away, Lockhart begins talking about the first Quidditch match of the season and offers Harry private training. Harry makes an indistinct noise in his throat and they all hurry away. He can't believe Lockhart didn't even look at the book they wanted and Ron calls him a brainless git. Hermione tries to defend him and they all head to the library to retrieve most potent potions. Madame Pince seems skeptical at first but gets them the book. The trio barricade themselves in Moaning Myrtle's bathroom, expecting it would be the last place anyone in their right minds would go. Hermione reads through the recipe and realizes it is a very complicated potion, and there are a few things that are going to be tricky to get. They realize it will take about a month to make the potion. Ron is worried Malfoy will have attacked half of the Muggleborns by then, but Hermione points out that it's the only plan they have. That Saturday morning, Harry wakes up early, nervous about the Quidditch match. He goes downstairs to breakfast and finds the rest of the Gryffindor team huddled together looking uptight. As 11 o'clock approaches, everyone starts heading out to the Quidditch pitch. The Gryffindor team pulls on their scarlet robes, and then Oliver Wood gives his pre-match pep talk. He tells them that even though Slytherin has better brooms, they have better players and have trained harder. He tells Harry to get the snitch or die trying because they have got to win. Fred winks and says, so no pressure, Harry. They walk out onto the pitch and Madame Hooch starts the match. Harry flies higher than everyone to look for the snitch and Malfoy shoots underneath him calling out, All right there, Scarhead, showing off the speed of his broom. But before Harry can reply, a bludger pelts towards him and narrowly misses. George knocks the bludger towards a Slytherin player, but it changes direction mid-air and shoots back towards Harry. George hits it again, and again it swerves towards Harry. Fred joins in, trying to keep the bludger away from Harry, but no matter what they do, it keeps going after him. It is starting to rain, and they realize that someone has tampered with the bludger and call for a timeout. Wood is upset because Slytherin is flattening them, and they can't figure out what could have happened to the bludger. Harry tells them to leave him to deal with the rogue bludger, or he will never be able to catch the snitch. The rest of the team doesn't like this idea, but Harry is determined. They resume playing, and Harry has to zigzag around to avoid the bludger. Malfoy asks him if he's training for the ballet, and as Harry glares at him with hatred, he sees the snitch right by Malfoy's ear. He pauses for a moment, and the bludger finally catches him, smashing into his elbow and breaking his arm. He manages to stay on his broom and flies towards Malfoy and the snitch. Malfoy thinks Harry is attacking him and panics, still not noticing the snitch. He dives out of the way, and Harry manages to catch it with his good hand. He flies to the ground, trying not to pass out. He hits the mud, acknowledges that they won, and then faints. When he comes to, he sees a glitter of white teeth and says, Oh no, not you. Lockhart insists to the gathering crowd that he doesn't know what he is saying, and tells Harry he will fix his arm. 
Harry protests, but Lockhart doesn't listen. He twirls his wand and casts a charm on Harry's arm, which then feels as though it is being deflated. People around him are gasping, and Colin Creevy begins clicking away on his camera. Harry's bones aren't mended. They have been removed. They get Harry to the hospital wing, and Madame Pomfrey is not pleased. She can mend bones in a second, but it is a longer and more painful process to grow them back. Harry has to stay in the hospital wing overnight. He also needs Ron's help to get his rubbery arm into his pajamas, and then takes a potion called Skelligro, which burns his throat and makes him cough. As he settles into the hospital bed, the Gryffindor team arrives to congratulate him. George says he saw Marcus Flint yelling at Malfoy about having the snitch right by his head and not noticing. They are settling in with the cakes, sweets, and bottles of pumpkin juice that the twins brought when Madame Pomfrey comes back and kicks them all out, saying Harry needs his rest. He has 33 bones to regrow. Harry is left alone with nothing to distract him from the pain in his arm. Hours later, he wakes up in even more pain and then realizes that Dobby is sponging his forehead. Dobby is upset that Harry Potter returned to Hogwarts and wonders why he didn't return home after he missed the train. Harry realizes that Dobby blocked the barrier and tells him that he nearly got them expelled and better clear out before his bones come back or he might strangle him. Dobby tells him that he is used to death threats and blows his nose on the corner of the pillowcase he is wearing. Harry wonders why he wears that, and Dobby explains that it is the mark of a house elf's enslavement. He can only be freed if his master presents him with clothes. Dobby then continues insisting that Harry Potter must go home, and that he thought his bludger would have been enough. Harry is angry once more, wondering why Dobby would try to kill him. Dobby explains that he doesn't want to kill him, just wants him sent home. He says being injured is better than Harry remaining there. Harry again asks Dobby why he doesn't want him at Hogwarts, and Dobby begins to talk about life for the enslaved when he who must not be named was in power, saying house elves were treated like vermin. Dobby is still treated like vermin, but mostly life has improved, and with the terrible things that are about to happen at Hogwarts, Harry must not stay there now that the Chamber of Secrets has been opened. Horrified that he's said too much, Dobby grabs Harry's water jug and hits himself in the head with it. He topples out of sight, then crawls back onto the bed. Harry asks for more information about the Chamber of Secrets, and Dobby doesn't answer, trying to grab the water jug again. Harry grabs his wrist to stop him and points out that he isn't muggle-born, so how can he be in danger? Dobby begs him not to ask any more and again tells him that he must go home. Harry says that he can't because one of his best friends is muggle-born. Dobby says Harry Potter is noble and valiant, but he must save himself. Before he can continue speaking, he freezes. They can hear footsteps coming down the corridor towards the hospital wing. Dobby vanishes with a loud crack, and the next moment, Dumbledore is backing through the door in his dressing gown and a nightcap, carrying one end of what looks like a statue. McGonagall is carrying the other end, and they heave it onto a bed. Dumbledore sends McGonagall to get Madame Pomfrey, and she hurries off. As Harry lays still, pretending to be asleep, he hears McGonagall return with Madame Pomfrey, who asks what happened. Dumbledore explains that there was another attack. Colin Creevy was found with a bunch of grapes. They think he was sneaking up to visit Harry. His eyes are wide, and his hands are stuck holding up his camera. McGonagall wonders if he managed to get a picture of his attacker. Dumbledore opens the back of the camera, and it emits steam and the smell of burnt plastic, all melted. McGonagall wonders what this means, and Dumbledore says that the Chamber of Secrets has indeed been opened again. McGonagall asks who, and Dumbledore says the question isn't who, but how. Neither of them seem to understand it any better than Harry. The movie starts off with Hermione finding most potent potions in the library. She pulls it off the shelf and walks a few rows back to Ron and Harry to tell them about the Polyjuice Potion, which will allow the drinker to temporarily transform into the physical form of another. Ron and Harry think the plan is brilliant because they can transform into Crab and Goyle and Malfoy will tell them anything. Hermione says that she has never seen a more complicated potion and when Harry asks how long it will take to make, she tells him a month. Harry is worried that if Malfoy is the heir of Slytherin, he could have attacked half the Muggleborns in school by then. Hermione says she knows, but it's the only plan they've got. The scene transitions to the Quidditch pitch, where Gryffindor is playing against Slytherin. Slytherin is currently in the lead and scores another goal. Lee Jordan announces the score at 90-30. to 30. 
The Slytherins form a V and take a celebratory lap around the pitch, one of the beaters swiping at Harry with his club. They fly by the audience and we see that Draco's father has come to watch the match and is sitting with Snape in the stands. Harry flies higher above the pitch to search for the snitch, and Malfoy stops near him to call out, All right there, Scarhead? A bludger flies at Harry, who narrowly avoids it by ducking. Wood tells Harry to watch out, and the bludger reverses direction, crashing right through Wood's broom and targeting Harry again. Harry tries to fly away from the bludger, but it continues to follow him. Hagrid watches from binoculars and declares that the rogue bludger has been tampered with. Ron pulls out his spellotaped wand and says he will stop it, but Hermione stops him, saying even with the proper wand, it's too risky because he could hit Harry. The bludger crashes through the scaffolding of the stands in its constant pursuit of Harry, and Draco is amused by Harry's attempt to escape it. He asks if Potter is training for the ballet, and the snitch appears right by his head. Harry ducks the bludger and shoots towards Malfoy to get the snitch. The two take off after it, banging into one another and trailing the snitch down into the foundation of the Quidditch pitch. They are neck and neck after the snitch, and Harry is still being chased by the bludger, which loops around and comes at Harry from the front. He manages to swerve away from it, but Malfoy clips his broom on a wooden beam, flies off of it, and hits the ground pretty hard, to Lucius's disappointment. Harry is still after the snitch, and as he stretches his arm out towards it, the bludger returns and smacks right into it. Harry holds his hurt arm to his chest and manages to grab the snitch with his other hand before falling to the ground. Hermione, Ron, and Hagrid run down to the pitch and Hermione gets there just in time to say, Finite incantatum, and destroy the rogue bludger before it comes down on Harry's head. Hermione asks if he's okay, and as Harry is saying he thinks his arm is broken, Lockhart also runs up and says he will fix his arm straight away. Harry says, no, not you, but Lockhart just assumes he doesn't know what he is saying. He pushes Harry's sleeve up, declaring it won't hurt a bit, and says, Brachium emendo. He picks up Harry's arm and it sort of flops. Lockhart bends Harry's hand back to his forearm and says, The important thing is it no longer hurts and the bones are clearly not broken. Hagrid angrily points out that there's no bones left, and Harry's arm springs back into a semi-normal position. Lockhart says that it's much more flexible. Shifting to the hospital wing, the scene has Malfoy moaning very dramatically in a hospital bed as Madame Pomfrey rushes by him. She tells him to stop making a fuss and he can go. She shoos some Gryffindor Quidditch team members out of the way to get to Harry's bedside, saying that he should have gone straight to her. She can mend bones in a heartbeat, but growing them back... Hermione interrupts, asking if she will be able to. Madame Pomfrey says, oh, she'll be able to, but it will be a rough night. She pours some Skelligro into a glass and hands it to Harry, who takes a drink and spits it out. As the Quidditch team backs away in disgust, Madame Pomfrey wants to know what he expects. Pumpkin juice? She sets the glass down on the bedside table, and the scene changes to nighttime. The creepy whisper is back, saying, Kill! Kill! And Harry wakes up to hear it say, It's time! He grabs his glasses off the table and puts them on to find Dobby at the end of his bed. Dobby tells Harry that he should have listened to Dobby. He should have gone back home when he missed the train. Harry realized that Dobby stopped the barrier from letting him and Ron through and is upset because Dobby nearly got them expelled. Dobby is still insisting that Harry shouldn't be at Hogwarts and must go home, saying that he thought his bludger would help him see that. Harry is even more upset to realize Dobby is the one who sent the bludger after him and tells him to clear off before his bones come back or he might strangle him. Dobby jumps off the bed but says he is used to death threats because he gets them five times a day at home. Harry wants to know why Dobby tried to kill him, and Dobby says, Not kill! But he remembers what it was like before Harry Potter triumphed over he who must not be named when house elves were treated like vermin. Dobby says that he is still treated like vermin and starts crying, blowing his nose in his pillowcase. Harry wants to know why he wears a pillowcase, and Dobby explains that it is the mark of a house elves enslavement. He can only be freed if his master presents him with clothes. They hear something coming towards the hospital wing, and before Dobby leaves, he warns Harry that terrible things are about to happen at Hogwarts, and Harry Potter must not stay here, now that history is to repeat itself. Harry wants to confirm that it has happened before, but Dobby says he shouldn't have said that and grabs the bottle of Skelligro to beat himself in the head. Harry takes it away from him and grabs him by the pillowcase, asking when it happened before and who is doing it now. 
Dobby says he can't say. He only wants Harry to be safe. Harry insists he tell him, but they hear a noise again and Dobby snaps his fingers and disappears. Harry sees a shadow coming up to the doorway and gets back in bed. Madame Pomfrey, Professor McGonagall, and Professor Dumbledore enter the hospital wing, followed by a couple of other wizards carrying a petrified Colin Creevy, still holding his camera up to his face. McGonagall thinks he may have been able to take a picture of his attacker. Dumbledore opens the back of the camera, and the film goes up in smoke. McGonagall asks him what this means, and Dumbledore responds that it means the students at Hogwarts are no longer safe because the Chamber of Secrets has been opened. I always find it really satisfying when you have to read a long summary, too. You've had two in a row now. Yeah, yuck it up. I'm gonna start adding a bunch of extra likes and ums and stutters, and we'll see how satisfied you are while you're editing that. Maybe I won't edit them out. Maybe I'll just let you sound inarticulate. (laughs) Like you could actually submit an episode like that. Touché. Let's just keep rolling. Mm Mm-hmm. The bulk of this section stays pretty true from the book to the movie. Again, we see a little streamlining that cuts out some entertaining details, some minor changes, and of course, the movie dramatizes the Quidditch match. Of course. The book starts out with the trio in Defense Against the Dark Arts class. Harry is having to impersonate a werewolf for Lockhart's reenactment of one of the more dramatic scenes of his book. Which just sounds like a completely pointless Defense Against the Dark Arts class. Like, oh, I bet they're learning loads. Though admittedly, if I'm being honest, it would have been a really fun scene to watch. (laughs) Yeah, I love all of the scenes that show just how useless of an idiot Lockhart is. Mm -hmm. But Harry is actually being quite agreeable in playing werewolf so that he can keep Lockhart in a good mood as they've pegged him as the teacher thick enough to sign a note to get a book out of the restricted section of the library. (gasps) Lay gasp! Yes, shocking, I know. Mm -hmm. Class ends and the trio approaches his desk after everyone else leaves. He doesn't even look at what book they want. Hermione just flatters him by mentioning his book, Gadding with Ghouls, and he's so distracted by his own cleverness that he just pulls out a giant peacock quill and signs his name like Hermione asked for an autograph. (laughs) I love how Ron looks revolted at the sight of the quill, and Lockhart interprets that expression as admiration for it. Right? And I can just imagine the look on Rupert Grint's face if they had filmed this scene. Mm -hmm. It would have been phenomenal. Especially when Lockhart goes on to talk to Harry about the upcoming Quidditch match and tells them that he was a seeker too and offers to train Harry, saying he's always willing to pass his expertise on to less able players. Oh my god, what a tool. Are we insulting tools by calling him that? I mean, tools actually serve a functional purpose. Hmm, that's true. What's something that doesn't serve a purpose? Um... Oh, oh, I know, an appendix. He's the appendix of the wizarding world. Yes. (laughs) There we go. The book then describes Harry as making an indistinct sound in his throat, and the trio just leave. I wish I could have seen that. (laughs) Like, I want to know what that would have sounded like. I just, that's, those are my, that's my indistinct sound. I don't know. Oh, they're pretty good. I thought, yeah. I thought so, but I want to hear <laughs> Harry's if I'm being honest. Right. <laughs> but anyways, they head right to the library and give the note to Madame Pence. And I love this part because Hermione doesn't want to let go of the note, hoping she can keep it. <laughs> Ron tells her that they can get her another autograph. Lockhart will sign anything if it stands still long enough. Because he is, in fact, an appendix. Seriously. Hermione lets Madame Pence take the note. She's initially suspicious of it, even holding it up to the light, but it passes the test and she retrieves the book for them. This is where the movie starts up. They never have to get a note signed or anything. Yeah, Hermione just walks to the shelf and plucks the book right off of it. Gee, good thing this super dangerous book is just mixed in with all the others and isn't locked away in the restricted section like it should be. Right? In the book... The trio take most potent potions to Moaning Myrtle's bathroom, because they figure they won't be interrupted there since it never gets used. Hermione goes over the recipe, realizing that it's very complicated and some of the ingredients are going to be difficult to get. She says that it will take about a month to make, 
Ron is worried that Malfoy will have attacked half of the Muggleborns by then, but Hermione points out that it's the only plan they have. The movie does have a very similar conversation. However, they have it while still in the library, you know, where everyone can listen in. This is also the first time that Hermione mentions Polyjuice Potions, since the previous scene cut it off after she explained that they would be breaking school rules and it would be very dangerous. Um, Harry and Ron realize that they can make themselves look like Slytherins, and they think it's a brilliant idea. The book has them a little bit more skeptical, especially after Ron learns that one of the ingredients is a bit of whomever they want to turn into. He flat out refuses to drink something with crab's toenails in it. Yeah, that's really, that's so gross. (laughs) It's probably my least favorite part about Polyjuice Potion, the fact that you have to ingest part of someone else. Like, especially crab, because, ew. The movie also has Hermione saying that it is extremely complicated and expecting it will take a month to make. Then Harry, not Ron, worries that Malfoy will have attacked half of the Muggleborns by then. Poor Ron, he barely gets to say any of his lines. Even Harry steals them. Right? And the way Harry says, a month, is like the longest drawn out sound I've ever heard. I did not notice that until you pointed it out. Oh my god, it drives me up a wall. A month. (sighs) But then, just like in the book, Hermione says it's the only plan they have. Also in the book, Ron pulls Harry aside and tells him that it will be a lot easier if Harry just knocks him off the broom during the first Quidditch match. I mean, he's not wrong, though I don't know how much information they would get out of that. And they'd feel like assholes when the attacks continued. (laughs) They wouldn't feel like assholes. They'd still be stoked they beat the shit out of Malfoy. There is that. Mm -hmm. Probably a good thing they stuck with the polyjuice then. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if I ever mentioned it, but one of my favorite fanfiction creations is polyjuice brothels. So again, I've probably been watching too much Game of Thrones lately, but I feel like polyjuice brothels would be incredibly popular. Right? For sure, there's a black market for that. Oh yeah, Lockhart probably sells his hairs for, like, hundreds of galleons. Assuming that's his real hair. Seems unlikely. Mm, good point. From here, the book and the movie line up incredibly well. The only thing omitted is the book transition to the Quidditch match, which includes Harry waking up early, the Gryffindor team nervously trying to eat breakfast, And Olive Herwood's speech, where he tells Harry to get the snitch or die trying. Yeah, and of course, I'm upset that we didn't get to see Oliver Wood's speech, because the movie scene just goes right into the match. As we already mentioned, it's a little different from how the book describes it, because of course, the movie dramatizes the match. Yeah, it also cuts out the part where Madame Hooch makes the captains shake hands and blows her whistle to start the match. We really don't get to see enough of Madame Hooch in the movies. You know, she's another one that gets called Madam, actually. She's a teacher, too. She's the flying instructor, so I imagine that's basically like the gym teacher. Maybe it's like that saying, those who can't teach, those who can't teach, teach gym. (laughs) I can say that. I'm a teacher. Yeah, but you're not a gym teacher. (laughs) And Hooch may not be a professor, but you know what Hooch is? Hooch is crazy. Hooch is crazy. (laughs) But yeah, the movie transitions right into the match already happening. Slytherin scores a goal and we see that the score is 90 to 30 in Slytherin's favor. You gotta admit though, the Slytherin team busting out a Mighty Ducks tribute with the literal flying V in the air was... Is it really? Is it flying in the air, Katie? Yeah, because I meant because they were doing it in the air. But you already said it's a literal flying V. Where the hell else are they flying? Because in Mighty Ducks, it's called a flying V, but they're not flying. They're on the goddamn ice. But you called this the literal flying V. You're a literal flying V. (laughs) (laughs) All right. The Slytherin team busting out a Mighty Ducks tribute with a literal flying V is pretty fucking boss. Could be that Marcus Flint just really likes geese. Mm, Possible. Their lap also shows us that Lucius Malfoy showed up to watch the Quidditch match, which was not a thing in the book. Since the book starts at the beginning of the match, we read about Harry flying above everyone else to begin his search for the snitch. Malfoy flies underneath him, clearly just showing off how fast his broom can go, and calls out, All right there, Scarhead! He says that in the movie, too. In both, it's right before a bludger flies at Harry, narrowly missing him. But this is also when the movie dramatization starts happening. 
The bludger barely misses him, and Wood says, Watch yourself, Harry! Maybe take your own advice there, though, Wood. Because the bludger flies back towards Harry, smashing through the front of Oliver's broomstick. Yeah, that definitely didn't happen in the book. Mm -mm. It wasn't even Oliver Wood that called out to Harry. It was George. He and Fred are both basically on top of Harry, trying to protect him from the rogue bludger. No one's broom gets broken, and Oliver Wood eventually calls a timeout. Yeah, there was no timeout in the book. Probably since Oliver Wood would have been unconscious on the ground after his broom was frickin' destroyed. In general, the movies made Quidditch way more vicious and dangerous. They really did. I guess it was more exciting to watch. Hmm. You know what I always wondered, though? Hmm. What happened to the rogue bludger during the timeout? Wouldn't it have still been trying to attack Harry? Hmm. You'd think they would have noticed way sooner that something was wrong with that specific bludger. Maybe official timeouts caused the Quidditch bulls to magically freeze with their hair. But would a tampered with bludger follow that if that was the case? I also think that a frozen snitch could end up becoming an advantage to the teams. Hmm, that's a good point. Maybe the snitch doesn't freeze then. Now I'm imagining the snitch just taunting seekers and appearing right in front of them during the timeouts. <laughs> Yeah, I can see that. But you, you would think that someone would have fixed the bludger during the timeout, though. Nope, the rogue bludger has plot armor. <laughs> yep. Anyways, Quaffle's gonna quaff, bludger's gonna bludge, snitch is gonna snitch. Right. During the timeout, Olive Herwood is upset because the Slytherins are winning and Fred and George didn't stop a bludger that prevented Angelina from scoring. They explain that they were trying to protect Harry from the road bludger, and Harry insists that they should leave him be, because he will never be able to catch the snitch if they are surrounding him like that. The team doesn't like it, but Harry is determined, and they end the timeout with him ready to get the snitch or die trying. None of that happened in the movie either. <laughs> Hagrid is watching from the stands and declared that the bludger has been tampered with, that has... And Ron thinks that he's going to stop the bludger using his spello-taped wand before Hermione stops him, since it is risky even with a proper wand. And Ron definitely does not have a proper wand at this point. Definitely. Mm-mm. So they just leave Harry to his own devices to avoid being smashed by a rogue bludger. In both, Draco is amused by Harry's bludger dodging and asks if he's training for the ballet. Draco really needs to work on his smack talk. Like, seriously, Scarhead, training for the ballet, like, solid burn, dude. Yeah, he seems to be lacking the sassy pants. However, the ballet comment was so random, it kind of makes me wonder if that's what he secretly desired. What, to be a ballerina? Ballerino. Maybe. I mean, Nazi von Douchebag the first would never let that happen, though. So instead, Draco puts on his sassy tutu and attempts some half-hearted hairy humiliation. <laughs> it would certainly explain buying his son's way onto the Quidditch team. But in the book, Harry notices the snitch right by Malfoy's ear and hesitates a little too long, not wanting to fly at him and risk him noticing the snitch too. The bludger finally catches him and smashes into his elbow, breaking his arm. He manages to stay on his broom and shoots towards Malfoy, who thinks Harry is attacking him, and dives out of the way. Instead, Harry catches the snitch with his good hand and flies toward the ground, trying not to pass out. Which was nowhere near dramatic enough for the movie. The snitch does appear near Malfoy's head, but Harry dodges the bludger and shoots towards the snitch. Malfoy sees it too, and they are both in pursuit of it, following it down into the foundation of the Quidditch pitch stands. Since the bludger is still after Harry, it's just smashing its way through the scaffolding. I sure hope those Quidditch stands are reinforced and structurally sound. I'm not even going to lie, I get so much anxiety watching Harry and Draco fly through those beams. <laughs> right? With the bludgers smashing through everything and them having to dodge the wood beams, and not to mention being neck and neck after the snitch. And there's also a deleted scene of Harry flying through the stands as the rogue bludger chases him. Because, you know, why just endanger yourself when you have the option to take out half the students as well? Drama, drama, drama. Then poor Draco clips his broom on one of the wooden beams and goes ass over apple cart for the first, but not the last, time in this film. 
Honestly, if Draco had just kept flying instead of calling back taunts to Harry, he might have caught the snitch. Mm-hmm. Facts. Like, seriously. At least in the film. Yeah, uh, yeah. Book Malfoy never even noticed it was there until it was too late. Yeah, definitely. They gave movie Malfoy more Quidditch skill than Book Malfoy. But nothing shows the true paternal shortcomings of Lucius Malfoy quite as well as his son getting hurt on the pitch, and all he does is look embarrassed for himself. Bet if he had let his son take ballet classes, he wouldn't have hit that beam. Probably. Malfoy is out of the picture, but Harry is still after the snitch, reaching his arm out for it. And this is when the bludger finally catches up with him and smashes right into his forearm. Remaining in pursuit, he holds his arm to his chest and manages to snatch the snitch with his other hand, right before falling off his broom and hitting the ground. Luckily, he wasn't too far off the ground. In the book, when he makes it to the ground, he does actually faint, and then comes to and sees a glitter of white teeth. Nope, still not dramatic enough for the movie. Harry hits the ground and has to roll around a few times to avoid the bludger before Hermione, Ron, and Hagrid magically make it down from the stands in record time. Just in time for Hermione to save Finite and Cantatum and destroy the rogue bludger. That's not how it happened in the book. (laughs) While everyone was gathering around him and Lockhart was insisting he could fix Harry's arm, he notices Fred and George wrestling the bludger, which was still putting up a good fight. Lockhart was among the first to get to Harry and also insisted on helping him. Harry says, not you, and Lockhart assumes he just doesn't know what he's saying. It's basically the same conversation from the book, but a slightly different interpretation. Harry comes to and sees Lockhart and is likely delirious enough that he has no filter and flat out declares, oh no, not you. (laughs) It sounds more like Lockhart was just the last person he wanted to see. And of course, Lockhart assumes he's just out of it. And the movie has this happen after Lockhart says he will fix his arm straight away. So Harry's not you is more of an, I think you were a completely useless appendix and I don't want you to be the one to try and fix my arm. And of course, Lockhart assumes that he's just out of it. And in both, Lockhart tries and fails to heal Harry's arm, actually removing the bones completely instead. The book has him do a fancy little wand twirl in lieu of saying an actual spell. Yeah, the movie has him saying, Prachium, Emendo! Which is rooted in Latin and literally means mend the forearm. Brachium meaning forearm and Emendo meaning mend or fix. So that makes sense. Yeah, checks out. In both, Harry's arm just sort of flops. But the book has Colin start to take pictures and Harry loudly tells him that he doesn't want pictures of this Colin. And this moment is one of those run-ins with the Muggleborns that Harry has that we were talking about the book including. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in the movie, it focuses more on Lockhart trying to justify removing his bones, saying that the important thing is it no longer hurts and he's much more flexible. You know, as he literally folds Harry's arm backwards and it springs back into place like a rubber glove full of pudding. Why am I now imagining slapping you with a rubber glove full of pudding? I challenge you to a duel! The duel is next week, and that clearly says more about you than me. I mean, I'm not actually gonna do it. But sometimes you want to. I mean, I'll let you choose the flavor. Oh, cool deal. I pick pistachio, since it's green like Slytherin's. And suddenly, the end of quarantine just can't come soon enough. Huh? (laughs) But anyways, both scenes now transition to Harry in the hospital wing, and a very unhappy Madame Pomfrey, who says they should have brought Harry to her straight away. In the movie, a moaning Malfoy is lying on a hospital bed and clutching his stomach, but Madame Pomfrey has no sympathy for him. In both the book and the movie, she is very no-nonsense in this scene. Well, in general, she's very no-nonsense. Mm-hmm. Madame Pomfrey is totally my caregiver goals. Like, she'll take care of you, but if you're there because you were doing something stupid, she will flat out call you a dumbass. She keeps it real. Mm -hmm. Probably more so in the movie, though. In the book, she says that Harry has a rough night ahead of him and has to stay overnight. Ron helps Harry into pajamas, and Madame Pomfrey gives him the skelligro. Harry drinks it down and coughs and splutters as it burns his throat. Which is, again, not dramatic enough for the movie. They don't bother to have Ron help Harry into pajamas, which probably would have been awkward to watch anyways. There is that. Yeah. But when Madame Pomfrey gives Harry the Skelligro, he takes a drink and does a spit take. 
Madame Pomfrey puts on her own sassy tutu and says, What did you expect, pumpkin juice? Then Harry never takes any more as she just sets the glass down on his bedside table and the scene ends. Yet somehow his bones grow back. Somehow. The book has the Gryffindor Quidditch team show up with snacks to celebrate their win and keep Harry company, but Madame Pomfrey throws them all out, saying he needs his rest because he has 33 bones to regrow. Which was our trivia question. Even though Harry apparently has an extra arm bone. Maybe it's a wizard thing? I will accept that. (laughs) Both sections now transition to nighttime, and Harry is woken up. In the book, it's by Dobby, who is sponging his forehead. The movie has the creepy voice wake him, saying, Kill! Kill! It's time! But when Harry puts his glasses on, he does find Dobby at the end of his bed. The ensuing conversation is pretty spot on between the book and the movie, though it is slightly out of order and with very minor changes. In both, Harry learns that Dobby stopped him and Ron from getting through the barrier. He isn't happy about that and tells Dobby he better clear out before his bones come back and he strangles him. He says that to him in the movie, too, but it's after Harry learns that Dobby set the bludger on him, too. That pretty much happens one right after another in the movie. Harry is mad to learn that Dobby sent the bludger after him, and Dobby says he feels most aggrieved and had to iron his hands. Meanwhile, Harry looks like he's about to iron Dobby's ass. (laughs) In both, Dobby says that he's used to death threats because he gets them five times a day at home. In the book, he blows his nose with the pillowcase he wears, and in both, Harry wants to know why he's wearing it. This is where we learn that a house elf can only be freed if presented with clothes. The book includes a bit of foreshadowing and has Dobby specifically say that his family is careful to not even pass him a sock. In the movie, it happens after Dobby's speech about how house elves were treated like vermin when he who must not be named was in power. Dobby says he is still treated like vermin and then blows his nose in his pillowcase and they talk about why he wears it. In the book, it's after the sock comment that Harry learns Dobby sent the bludger after him. Harry asks why Dobby doesn't want him at Hogwarts, and this is when we hear Dobby's speech about house elves being treated like vermin. He says he's still treated like vermin, but things mostly have improved and terrible things are about to happen at Hogwarts, now that the Chamber of Secrets is open again. He's then horrified because he said too much and hits himself on the head with Harry's water jug, knocking himself off the bed. And the conversational gymnastics that we just flipped around finally sticks its landing, though there are still some minor differences. Dobby doesn't specifically mention the Chamber of Secrets, but he does say terrible things are about to happen because history is about to repeat itself. Movie Dobby channels his inner Hagrid because he shouldn't have said that, and he grabs the bottle of Skelligro and begins beating himself repeatedly in the head. Harry stops him and asks for more information. In the book, Dobby only hits himself one time, though he does reach for the jug again. Harry grabs his wrist to stop him and points out that he isn't muggle-born, but one of his best friends is, so he's not going anywhere. Dobby calls him noble and valiant, but says he must save himself. At this point, they hear footsteps and Dobby vanishes with a loud crack. In the movie, Dobby is telling Harry he only wants him to be safe. They hear a noise and Dobby snaps his fingers and disappears. Every time I see this part, actually, I remember being at the first convention in Florida where the keynote luncheon speaker was part of the special effects team on Chamber of Secrets, and she actually deconstructed the exact moment he disappears to show us all the layers involved in something as simple as making a house elf disappear. That would be really neat to see. Mm -hmm. Having done quite a bit of amateur filmmaking... I know a little bit about the process, but my area of expertise falls more in the writing and directing side of it, and I know significantly less about the special effects side. It was really, really cool. It's something I always remember. But after Dobby disappears, Harry gets back in bed and pretends to be asleep. Madame Pomfrey, Professor Dumbledore, and Professor McGonagall come in, followed by two random-ass wizards carrying a petrified Colin Creevy. Yeah, the book did not have two random-ass wizards. (laughs) It was just Dumbledore and McGonagall carrying Colin. After they set him on the bed, Dumbledore sends McGonagall to fetch Madame Pomfrey, who wants to know what happened. Dumbledore says there's been another attack, and that he was found with a bunch of grapes, so they think he was trying to sneak up to visit Potter. The movie doesn't mention that he was sneaking up to visit Potter, but Dumbledore does say that there was another attack, and McGonagall adds that she thinks he's been petrified. 
Do you think he's been petrified in Minerva? Like, is that your expert opinion? Are you sure he's not just playing a super elaborate game of freeze tag? <laughs> or light as a feather, stiff as a board? Mm-hmm. Though clearly he wasn't that light if it took two random-ass wizards to carry him. <laughs> Facts. In both, McGonagall wonders if he managed to take a picture of his attacker, and for some reason, in both, Dumbledore just opens the back of the camera and exposes the film. I mean, what the fuck, Albus? Like... That's not a goddamn Polaroid. You can't just open the back and see the pictures right away. Right? It's not digital. You can't just scroll through all the pictures taken. I took several photography classes in college and we had these closet type things where we went in to remove the film. We had to wind it around a coil to keep it from touching itself, all in the pitch black, because any amount of light will immediately destroy the images on the film. Hey, I took that class too. Good one, Katie. Here's a cookie. Yay, cookies. But my best guess is that Dumbledore knew it would already be destroyed and opened it to prove that point. And prove it, it apparently does, because in both the movie and the book, it seems to confirm that the Chamber of Secrets is indeed open again. Yep, the book chapter ends with McGonagall asking Dumbledore who opened the Chamber of Secrets, and Dumbledore says the real question is how. Neither of them seem to have any answers. The movie scene ends with McGonagall wondering what she should tell the staff, and Dumbledore says, The truth. We are fucked. But, you know, maybe not in those words. Like, I'm paraphrasing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. That will bring us to the end of this section, and to the new actors we saw during this part. We get a brief glimpse of Luke Youngblood returning as Lee Jordan while he's commentating the Quidditch match. Does he look like a boy to you yet? No. Well, I mean, like, yeah, I think it's just his voice. It just sounds feminine to me. But he is great at doing the commentary. He's got a good voice for that. I just wish we could have seen more of his bias towards Gryffindor. Mm -hmm. Like, he sounded way too excited that Slytherin scored another goal. Yeah, I agree. I wish they would have kept a lot of his his snark. He was very snarky, too. I wish they would have kept that in. He was very, he was, I mean, he was absolutely Mm -hmm. Fred and George's friend. Yeah, for sure, without a doubt. (laughs) But now we can actually also talk about Gemma Jones as Madame Pomfrey, since she had more to do than just look shocked by the writing on the wall. Right? She was, I like Gemma Jones, I think, and I think she played Madame Pomfrey really well. She pulled off that no-nonsense very well. Yeah, she had a very, like, bitch-please attitude. I have a rule in my house that if you have a headache or if something hurts, if you don't take some Tylenol or take something for it, you're not allowed to bitch. I think that's a good rule. Right, and I feel like she would have that same rule. It's mainly because I love my husband, but he has a tendency to, like, hurt and complain that he hurts, but not actually do anything about it. So, like, well, if you're not going to be proactive, I don't want to hear about it. Yours and mine, hun. Like, (laughs) I can't tell you the number of times that Len gets really grouchy with me and then says he has a headache. And I'm like, well, did you take some Excedrin? And he'll be like, no. I'm like, okay, then, yeah, shut up. (laughs) My point, though, is I feel like Gemma Jones as Madame Pomfrey would have that same rule. I think she does. I I love the way she just breezes past Malfoy and it's just like, oh, for heaven's sakes, you're fine. Get out of here. Like, I mean, I know that's not what she said, but that's (laughs) like, oh, my God, you're such a wuss. Get out. Right. GTFO, Malfoy. Damn. (laughs) You're fine. Yeah. Like, I love her. I really, I think she was great. I wish we would have been able to see more of her but obviously her i mean her the part's not that big but considering the sheer number of times that harry or ron or hermione ends up in the hospital wing we could have had a ton of fantastic madame pomfrey moments right and they're few and far between exactly yeah so all in all i think Gemma played her really really well and i've loved her and everything else i've seen her into she was the mom in bridget jones's diary which was fun (laughs) but let's just keep rolling into our Potter pondering for this week, which is going to be, do you prefer the way the movies dramatize the Quidditch matches or the way the book describes them? In other words, is Quidditch more interesting in your head or on film? Look for the post on our Facebook page and let us know what you think. And this week's Sorting Hat story is from Simon Goldman. He writes, I am a Slytherin, my wand is cedar wood with a phoenix feather core, 12 and a half inches, and unbending flexibility. My Patronus is a black mamba. I read The Sorcerer's Stone back when it came out in 1997. I was in a bookstore, saw the book, 
and read the back cover. It sounded interesting. My parents bought it for me and I've been hooked ever since. I currently live in Utah and we have a LARP park called Evermore that I go to sometimes. Most people LARP medieval fantasy, knights, fairies, etc. But overall, they don't care. You don't have to LARP. The employee actors treat everyone the same. So far, I'm the only Slytherin. I've mostly seen Gryffindors with some Ravenclaws. I've created a persona and a whole backstory. My name is Galen Cromwell. I'm from a pure-blood American magical family. My father was an ambassador for Makuza to the Ministry of Magic, and I was born in England, hence the reason I was able to go to Hogwarts. I started at Hogwarts two years after Harry Potter. I'm also a Death Eater, because I don't think that wizards should have to be kept secret. I'm thinking about writing a fanfiction about my persona. I think that's awesome. That's really imaginative and cool. Like, I love fanfiction, and I've written a little bit of it that will never see the light of day <laughs> but you know I've never done LARPing I would have a hard time staying in character that's where I would fail at it but I think that's really great I think that's pretty awesome there's just so much detail to his backstory I think it'd be really cool if he wrote it all down Mm-hmm. yeah I'd like to see that so if you ever write the fan fiction Simon send it our way let us know yep and if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, which is the wood core and length, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else that you might want to share with us. And this will bring us to this week's trivia question, which is, what two polyjuice potion ingredients did the trio have to steal from Snape's private stores? The prize for the first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word, hashtag swelling solution, will get a bitch is a witch, motherfucker's a wizard, a just keep rolling, or a pride sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us. If you're an Apple person, you can do it through the Apple Podcast or iTunes app. If you don't have Apple, you can just write a recommendation on our Facebook page. Then email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. And again, following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. If you'd like to support us as a patron for extra perks, you can go to patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. And join us next week when we talk about Chapter 11, The Dueling Club, and the corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just keep rolling. Thank you.